Here's Neymar now, Cavani is there. And Saint-Etienne has surely won it in the 89th minute. Calou for Cavano. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tobac. Kylian Mbappé wraps it up. Bonjour et bienvenue, welcome along to Le Beaujeu, the official League Arm podcast. Coming up, we ask, are Ben Yedder and Slimani the best attacking duo in Europe? Is Maro Icardi nudging Edinson Cavani out of the PSG team? And can Rudy Garcia get the Lyon fans off his back and turn things around at the Group Armour Stadium? With me today in the magnificent apartment of Mr. David Crossan with uh, the view of the Eiffel Tower. We are very privileged this morning. Thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure. Good to have you all around again. We've got David. We've got Andy Scott sitting opposite me. Hi, Andy. Hello, Matt. How are you? Um, pretty well, thank you. Pretty well. What about yourself? Good weekend? Not too bad. Yeah, excellent weekend. You had Thanks. a good game. You had a good game to come I had, I had probably, arguably, the game of the weekend, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty smug this morning. And we'll be talking about that. Armel Tanki, how was, how was your weekend? You're not really attracting the goals in your commentaries, are you? No, shock. Hello, everyone. I had another nil-nil, just to shake things up a little. Well, have you commentating the uh, Friday night League 2 uh, match? I don't know if you, saw, you guys saw this, but there was five nil-nil draws in the second division on Friday night. So that'll be, that'll be you next week, Armel. got nothing to do with that. <laughs> These things happen, though, Andy. You know, after the international break in particular, it takes, it takes the players a bit of time to get going again, as it, as it does us. Dave, you wanted to come in? No. I, I just bet they'll probably be on plus like we are. We've got, we've got a good microphone set up today and we're all ready to go. We are bien en place. Andy was bien en place um, at the Stade Louis II for Monaco against Rennes. He said it was perhaps the game of the weekend. I think there was uh, no doubt about it, really. Let's hear Andy's commentary. Andy gets back to uh, Slimani all the way across to Ben Yedder. They combine once again. Ben Yedder with the emphatic finish. And it's the perfect start to the game for Monaco. Mawasa, Jeremy Morel is in front of him. Mawasa continues his run into the box. It's away from Camille Glick too easily. And Mawasa all the way through to get the equalising goal. Comes the free kick and... It's uh, gone very horribly wrong for Monaco. It's been turned in by Adrian Hunu. Julien Stefan, the Ren coach, has seen his team come from behind. And now they have the lead. Jeremy Morel trying to find De Silva. The pass was intercepted. Slimani surely. He's round the keeper. And Islam Slimani scores. Bakayoko. Ben Yedder. He's won it in the 93rd minute. It had to be him. So, Andy, Monaco 3, Ren 2. And Monaco back on track. Uh, I think that's fair to say now. Three wins uh, from four. And it was a dramatic win, wasn't it? Because it was in yeah. the dying seconds that Ben Yedder got, got that winner. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, ben Yedder scoring the 93rd minute uh, to give him a 3-2 win against Ren who'd come from behind to lead, uh, a game that swung one way then the other, and um, a match that really kind of summed up Monaco uh, this season. Absolutely brilliant in the uh, final third, always looked like scoring goals. At the other end, they always looked like conceding goals. Camille Glick um, at fault for the, the first goal that Monaco conceded. And, um, you know, it's just the same that we've been saying really for some time about them. They are struggling to find that balance between uh, defence and attack. Uh, Leonardo Jardim still has a lot of work to do in that regard. You look at the players who were missing yesterday, it was mainly attacking players actually, the likes of Golovin and uh, Gelson Martins who were suspended. Uh, but it doesn't matter because they've got Ben Yedder and, and, and Slimani with Fabregas playing behind them and, and when they have uh, those two guys um, partnering one another, they really do look capable of, of scoring goals against anybody. And that midfield, Fabregas, Bakayoko and Adrian Silva starting to, uh, to to gel perhaps because Monaco... They, I think it's fair to say they deserved that win and they dominated mm. long periods. <clears throat> yeah, I think they deserved the win. I think the thing about Monaco is that if, if, they, if they have the ball and they're pressing high, then they're okay. But as soon as they lose the ball, they look like they're in big trouble. And, uh, and that's, that's a problem of balance in the team that they need to sort out. I think the midfield is, 
is improving from where they were at the beginning of the season. But again, it all comes down to the, the central defence. There's no uh, other solutions really for Jardim in, in that position at the moment. Uh, but, he, but he has to try and make sure that his team take the game to the opposition uh, as much as possible. Because if they can do that, you know, you look at the, the, the games that Monaco have had at home recently. I think it's something like... 25-30 goals in, in six home games this season between scored and conceded. It's, it's remarkable and they've won the last three home games now. They just need to find a little bit of consistency because they've got some very difficult uh, away fixtures coming up, not next weekend. And, and if they can do that, they can start to climb the table. But, you know, again, it, it comes down to Ben Yedder and Slimani, this uh, little and large uh, strike partnership. And uh, Ben Yedder is a brilliant finisher. He took his two goals really well. But I think Islam Slimani, for his all-round play, is the one who's really uh, catching my eye at the moment. Absolutely brilliant, setting up goals left, right and centre and scoring them as well. And just, it was a a little bit tongue-in-cheek at the beginning when I said, are they the best duo in Europe at the moment? But the stats suggest they're not far behind with, uh, so far this season, Aguero and De Bruyne have uh, contributed 17 goals (laughs) Uh, between them in terms of assists and, uh, and and goals. Lewandowski and Nabry, 17. And then just behind them in third place, Ben Yedder and Slimani. Yeah, Julian Stefan said after the game that very few forwards in the French game could have scored that Ben Yedder winner. I actually thought the first finish was even better. It was a, a remarkable finish on the half volley. And he smashed it past the keeper. Um, he, we have to remember he came into that off the back of a really disappointing showing for France against Turkey. Uh, where he was poor and uh, well France aren't set up to play to his strengths it looks like Monaco are he is better when he's got someone to take the buffeting and he can show his technical ability and his finishing is is second to none at the moment eight goals already for Monaco Um, I saw Novak Djokovic was in the stands at Stade Louis II and I have to say from a neutrals perspective for everything that Andy's been saying about Monaco it is ace to watch Wow, that, Dave, all that, all that for that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. Um, why Why did Novak Djokovic is a tennis player. Ah, right. Why did he come to the Stade Louis II wearing a red star Belgrade shirt? That's what we need to be discussing right now. That's just a strange He's sub. Well, why not? <laughs> I mean, yeah, same colours, I guess, yeah. Ben Yedder, Armel. Yeah. I'll get you out of this hole that you're digging yourself in. Um, is, he, is he underrated? He's eight, eight goals now already this season. He's just come back to, to Liga. I know that you... Um, agreed with me. Well, we both went for Ben Yedda as our tip for, for top scorer in Ligue 1 this, this season. He was prolific in Spain. He's getting into the France squad ahead of players like Lacazette and, and, and Martial. So Didier Deschamps obviously obviously rates him. Um, I mean, he's, 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 he's a wonderful finisher and he's something of a, a throwback, isn't he? An, an old-fashioned striker who, you know, is the fox in a box, doesn't do that much in open play, although he can link up. But uh, so effective in front of goal. Well, I mean, you sort of gave the answer I was going to give there. I don't think he is underrated because he's making the France squad regularly. And, you know, when you're playing alongside the likes of Giroud, who's a world-class striker, living with Platini in the history books, <laughs> then you, can, you can't really be underrated. But he's he's found the net in five consecutive league games now for the first time in his career. It's it's nice to see him back in, in Ligue 1. I remember him towards the end of his time at Toulouse, where he was really turning into a a very good play before leaving for Seville. And as uh, as we mentioned earlier, playing alongside Islam Slimani looks like one of the, the easiest things in, in Ligue 1 at the moment because he wins everything in the air and lays it off for Ben Yedder. And Ben Yedder does have that very quick finishing ability, a little bit like a sort of Lacazette that we've seen in Ligue 1 of the past that can score a goal from sort of any position back to goal. And Monaco have got themselves a real asset there. Monaco 14th. Um, so they're you know they're in a lowly position, but they're only five points from a from a top three finish or from a top top three position. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at the table, looking at the way things are panning out, um, you know you've got Nantes, you've got Angers, Reims near the top. I just think Monaco are a team that have got goals, and I I, I can see them closing that gap, and I can see them, you know, at least finishing in in the European positions this season. Well, they've only they've only lost one of their last five, and even before that, mm. it was a. a th- 4-3 defeat to Marseille, 2 all draw to Strasbourg, 2 all draw to Nîmes. So goals, certainly not their problem, as we've just discussed with Ben Yedder and Slimani. And if they can keep up this run of at least not losing, as Andy mentioned earlier, keeping that central defence a bit tighter with Glick and Jemison looking shaky, then there's definitely room to improve. I think, I think one of the things with Monaco is that they had that terrible start, didn't they? They lost the first two games 3-0. And um, actually, since then, the results have not been too bad. I think... Uh, 
I think their only defeat since then was against Montpellier uh, in the last game before the before the international break. Because certainly they've had just two defeats since the since the first couple of matches. Actually, their form has improved. Um, they're looking like they're uh, winning games at home again. And yeah, I mean, there's, they they should be obviously competing towards the top of the table. The question is. Can any of these teams find any consistency? Because, you know, Monaco, Marseille, Lyon, all these teams who we keep waiting to put a run of results together, it's not quite happened. Monaco are maybe just getting there now, but they're coming from a very uh, lowly position in the table. They've still got a lot of work to do, but the other results this weekend will give them some encouragement. But as long as Monaco keep averaging, conceding two goals a game, they're going to struggle to get wins. You can't rely on Ben Yedder and Slimani to get you three goals every week. Um, like I said earlier, the from a neutral's perspective, it's great. There have been nearly 40 goals in 10 Monaco games this season. I'd much rather watch them than Nantes, who have had 15 goals in their games, or Rance, who have had 13 goals in their games, because you know that you're going to get entertainment. There'll be mistakes, but there'll be some really good play as well. Just briefly, it's quite amusing that the only Monaco game I've commentated this season was the 0-0 away to Haas. <laughs> well done, Armel, well done. But... I, I think, Dave, I think you're touching on a on a good point, as as you so often do. You know, when you look at the goals they conceded against uh, Rennes, you know, Mawasa absolutely skinned Glick. I mean, this guy doesn't seem to be able to accelerate anymore. Camel Glick, he's been the rock for a few seasons, but, you know, he can't do it anymore. The uh, the second goal that Unu uh, headed in after a horrible misunderstanding, Gilles Diaz, who was playing uh, as the left wing back, nodding past his own goalkeeper. I mean, you know, they're comical goals and... Monaco can't keep on shooting themselves in the foot like that, can they? No, they can't. But as I said, they don't really have any other um, defensive uh, solutions. You know, they've, they've gone for a very good goalkeeper. Benjamin Leconte, I think we'd all agree, has been one of the best goalkeepers in Ligue 1 in the last uh, few years. Consistently very impressive. A three-man defence uh, with Camille Glick in the middle, it's just not really working. Gilles Diaz was playing because Fodi Balotouré was suspended, but Balotouré has been, you know, Armel shaking his head, has not been very impressive this season. Yeah, they're making... Uh, very basic mistakes, and um, actually, before the before the first Ren goal yesterday, there was an incident where uh, Adrian Silva gave the ball away to Adrian Hunu, who then Kamil Glick just simply got out of his way and allowed Hunu to have a shot that should have been a goal. That was just before Mawasa scored, so they have lots of problems. Don't forget, this is a Ren team who are in really bad form. So I was going to say, Monaco the ne- nearly gifted them a result. They're the opposite, aren't they? I think they won their first three games this season. Haven't won a game since nine, nine games. Yeah, nine without a win. Nine without a win now, and Julian Stefan facing his his first crisis as a, as a manager. And, and we've seen last season, uh, Olivier Letton, the, the sporting director, um, sack, no, the president, isn't he, Letton, uh, sacking um, Sabri Lamouchi after a, uh, an indifferent run of form. Do we need to worry for Julien Stefan? I don't think we need to worry about him just yet. And they are still above Monaco in the table, albeit only on goal difference. But it it's definitely affecting the players' confidence. They know that this run is just going on and on and on. I don't think the Europa League is helping them uh, at all in this. Um, and there's definitely a hangover for those two clubs that won the cup competitions last season for Rennes and Strasbourg. Strasbourg, their bad form doesn't date just from this season. I'm sure we'll talk more about them later. Rennes, I can't see them finding consistency the way they're playing at the moment either. And they haven't got the best out of their new signings. I and mean, Rafinha didn't play Yesterday, he was ill, I think. Um, but no, I, I can't see them picking up wins the way they're playing at the moment. That that squad is is too good to be going this long without a win on, on a Ligue 1 scale. I think their their team is their team should be competing for the top six and that is putting pressure on Julien Stefan's job naturally at the moment. I thought um, it was quite indicative. I was at the Rennes-Celtic uh, game in the, the first match in the Europa League and um, I, sp- I spoke to you, Matt, about that just afterwards and I think we both kind of agreed that we had thought that Rennes would probably win that match but it was actually, it gave us a pretty good idea of where Rennes are that Celtic actually were were well worth their draw in that game. I thought they had a very, quite a brusque and, uh, and, and, and aggressive approach which the Rennes fans didn't like much but, you know, it kind of made, made me realise that Rennes did win the cup last season but they did finish in mid-table in the league and they've had a lot of changes since then and maybe our expectations of Rennes going into this season were a little bit too high. Yes, Rennes struggling at the moment in, in mid-table. Another team struggling uh, are Lyon. Uh, they changed manager following the sacking uh, of Silvino during the international break. We were looking at uh, uh, three potential candidates uh, interviewed by the president, Jean-Michel Olas, 
We had Jocelyn Gorvenek, we had Laurent Blanc, and we had Rudy Garcia. And uh, somewhat surprisingly, and uh, to the uh, anger of a lot of Leon fans, Rudy Garcia got the job. Let's hear how he got on in his uh, in his first game. Leon at home against Dijon. Armel Tanguy commentating. Dembele brings it down brilliantly. And an equally impressive save from Alfred Gomez. Keeps the scores at 0-0. Wide for Bertrand Traoré. Who spotted Maxwell Cornet. And again Gomez there. And again Gomez with the save. How did he keep that out from Ren Adelaide? White shirts in the middle. It's Moussa Dembele's header. Gomez is there. As he has been so many occasions already today. And that's that. More frustration for Olympique Lyonnais. Rudy Garcia's first game in charge. Not a particularly inspired affair. It finishes goalless between Lyon and Dijon. And you can see what the fans make of it. Armel, how does that game rank in terms of the um, the 15 nil nils you've commentated already this season? No, 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 I'm joking. But uh, another nil nil for you. Uh, uh, Leon, a little bit unfortunate. They did have a lot of attempts on goal, particularly in the second half. Um, in terms of nil nils I've commentated, it was one of the better ones. There were there were chances created. Um, Dijon very rarely troubled Leon at the back, although uh, maybe put a word in for. Dave and I's friend Stevie Mavadidi, who we think is Stevie rather than Steffi. He he did worry the Leon defence. I'm sure he's a regular listener, so he can get in touch with us if it's we're not pronouncing his name right. But back to Leon. Um, I I've, I sorry, don't. Sorry, can I just cut, cut in there? Who is who, who is Mavadidi? Can you just enlighten uh, us? So um, he started his career at Arsenal. I think you weren't aware of that though, were you? I asked you, and you didn't know how to pronounce it, so I was a bit lost after that. But he's on loan from Juventus this season at Dijon. And he's not the only one either. Matheus Pereira also on loan from Juventus at Dijon. So, and he's not cutting the mustard. Um, <laughs> Leon. Um, so yes, uh, they unlucky to to draw nil nil because they did create chances, but they were quite mundane chances. Alfred Gomez, uh, the Dijon goalkeeper, got the plaudits, but. There weren't. There were only a couple of saves where he really had to uh, produce something special to to keep Dembele out, to keep Awar out. I think what was interesting about the way Rudy Garcia set up is he tried to answer some of the questions that have been left open after Silvino's departure by putting Awar in a very central role, allowing him to drop deep, pick the ball up, and transition quickly, which I think is where Awar is is best in the Leon team. And of course, a popular decision to put Moussa Dembele in from the start. That received a, a big cheer at the beginning. But the performance, I don't think we can credit or rather discredit Rudy Garcia with because, you know, he's only been there a matter of days. It wasn't really his team's performance. And perhaps, although he received a very tepid welcome. Um, there it, was, was, it was worse, wasn't it? I mean, he was booed before the game. There was a banner saying... Uh, we're gonna we're gonna make you pay for all the all the, the the bad mouthing and the way that you disrespected our club when you were Marseille manager. I mean, it was a it was a hostile reception. I, I mean, you know, from what I could see, hostile is is the word. Yes, it wouldn't have been enjoyable, and he looked a bit stressed out, and his hair was a bit all over the shop throughout the, the afternoon. I, I know we like to mention that on Le Bourgeois, so got it in. But uh, but I think Leon will get better. Um, and here's a little one for you. Rudy Garcia started with a nil-nil at Lille, at Roma and at Marseille. And good things happened at all of those clubs. Just to say, Silvino, you know, it's, it's a tough act to follow in terms of hair. And I think Rudy Garcia um, will, be, will be well aware of that. But, you know, I, personally, I'm shocked that Leon have gone for Rudy Garcia. This guy was a figure of hate is too strong a word, but the Marseille fans were furious with him for, for the last season. Um, his, his reputation's been... Uh, dragged through the dirt somewhat. Yes, he's a coach who's had success in the past, but you know, for Leon, one of Marseille's big rivals, to go and get somebody who's just been sat by Marseille. I don't know what Dave and Andy what, what you think about well, this, as, but as a Garcia tribute, I'm wearing a an official hoodie from the, the Lyon Europa League final when Marseille took on Atletico Madrid. And we can't forget how good they were in that European run. And for me, 
one of the most exciting displays from any French team and the best atmosphere of the last decade in French football was that turnaround that they produced against Leipzig on their way to the final. They were they played some thrilling football that season. He got the best out of Florian Tovin. I think he will do quite well at Lyon. Of that three-man shortlist, personally, I would have gone for Laurent Blanc. I don't understand what more Blanc had to do to convince people in his coaching career because everyone says, OK, compared to Didier Deschamps, he's not going to put the cones out. He's not going to do the best tactical session. But when you listen to Laurent Blanc talk about the philosophy of coaching, he says a lot of it is to do with psychology. I think players do play for him. Paris Saint-Germain were better under him. I think, than they were under Unai Emery. Thomas Tuchel still has to prove that he can do better than Blonde's teams did in the Champions League. He managed to turn France around from a very difficult situation. Uh, his Bordeaux team was good under with Gorkouf, the star player, in 09 when they won the league. But, OK, Lyon have gone for Garcia. I think the main thing that he did on Saturday was to allow the fullbacks to attack. That is part of the way Lyon play. Silvino, as a former fullback, didn't let them cross the halfway line. It was like playing under 11s football. You stay back. You're only allowed in the opposition half to take throws. Pathetic. And you know, I don't know why he did that. Alwar actually, I think, had played really well in the two games before the international window and started to look more like his old self. He's one of my favourite players in the league and I hope that he can continue his form. And on Saturday as well, they were without Depay, who was injured. And Dubois. And Dubois as well. Um, so I think the ingredients are still there. Um and Janino, the the sporting director, has been talking about discipline problems in the in the dressing room and everything. And Garcia, you'd you'd hope with his experience at Marseille, Lille, and Roma, will be able to sort that out. Towards the end of his time at Marseille, he did look disinterested. I think he is reinvigorated now, and he's someone who likes a challenge. A quick quick word about just Laurent Blanc's non-appointment. I've heard. People talking about perhaps he's a bit of a Gareth Bale, a bit too keen on the old golf course. And that might be one of the reasons why clubs know what they're getting with him and they want someone a bit more committed to kicking off rather than teeing off. Really? No, I think, I think uh, you know, Jean-Louis Gasset, who obviously was Laurent Blanc's long-time assistant, he gave an interview with uh, L'Equipe um, newspaper over the weekend, basically criticising Leon's decision not to go for him, saying, you know, what else does this guy need to do? He's kind of right. You know, we remember Laurent Blanc, as Dave said, the job he did at Paris Saint-Germain, but the doubts were that without Jean-Louis Gasset as his number two, could he repeat that um, that brilliant record? But I think Rudy Garcia is is um, interesting because the question is, well, what is the real Rudy Garcia? I mean, um, obviously he didn't have a brilliant start and, and people are not convinced that he's the right man, but he had, you know, he had that poor last season at Marseille, but as Dave said, he had that brilliant run where he took him to the Europa League final. And of course, I know it's a long time ago now, but this is the man who won the double with Lille, played some great football. You have to look at his general track record, not just the job he did last season. I think you guys at Marseille. Are I think you're really generous. If I if I was a Lyon fan, I'd be gutted. Yeah, I think, you know, I think you've got a, you've got a really really good squad at Lyon. Th- you've got yeah. the infrastructure. You could go on and become a, a, a European force, and maybe they will under Rudy Garcia. But, but I th- I think all I think, the managers you could have gone for. Yeah, I think I think that's the the other side of it. I think it it reminds me. Um, I, I have uh, certain leanings towards Everton in England through my uh, my in laws and my my wife, and I remember when they got rid of Ronald Koeman a couple of years ago, so, sort of abandoned this project with Koeman, who, let's be honest, is is a manager with with a certain track record, and they brought in Sam Allardyce, and that did not go down well at all with the Everton fans, and that was that was a bit of a panic after a bad start to the it's season. Not, it's not easy, Rafael Rafael Benitez at Chelsea, you know, when yeah. you when you go there and the fans are on your back from the word go, it's not easy. Exactly, and 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 so obviously, yeah, I I appreciate it. it's not for me to say to the Leon fans. You know, look at Rudy Garcia. You should be pleased with him being appointed. I understand they have reservations. I'm just saying that, you know, Leon have kind of have panicked, haven't they? At the end of the day, they've panicked. This this project with Silvino, this this uh, ambitious move to bring him in, has not worked. They've panicked. They've decided that they have to do something. They've seen Rudy Garcia is available. They've thought he might be a surefire bet to turn their season around. They might not like the way his team plays football, but you know, let's reserve judgment. Biggest cheer of the evening came, um, perhaps the only cheer and to do with Rudy Garcia was when he brought on uh, Ryan Shirky, another teenager to come out of the Leon Academy. And I, whenever one of those comes on, you've got to be a little excited. So, Born in 2003. Scary, I know We already feel quite old. That's why, as we've mentioned on the pods before, we love Vittorino Hilton, or I do at least, because he's older than me. Yeah, he's younger than me, unfortunately. But Ryan Shirky <laughs> is is a sensational talent. Um, you know, I've seen all the videos of him. He seems to score hat-tricks every every week with Leon's youth teams. Um, 
Rudy Garcia had the Marseille fans laughing in his post-match interview because he came out and said, oh, I thought we did everything. Look at the stats. We we won in every statistic apart from the scoreline. And that's kind of the sort of line that he was trotting out with the, mm. with, with Marseille. But we're going we're, we're gonna to move on. I just wanted to say, though... Um, why was Jos Angulnek on the shortlist? That's the big was, question. Uh, uh, Olas did send a text to Jose Mourinho as well. We should mention that when we say, why didn't they go for a more high-profile figure? And people say that Laurent Blanc, I mean, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, some people have said he didn't He didn't give a good interview. He didn't do his homework. He didn't. But I mean, the guy... It's oh, not... You can't do a good PowerPoint presentation, Matt, but it still mate, doesn't exactly. mean you're not a bad or not a good presenter exactly. of the Beaujolais. <laughs> I, exactly. I sympathise with, with Laurent Blanc because it's, you know, it's about having charisma and intelligence and man-to-man management skills. You know, the way that I was geeing you up there and a good drive this, before this know, podcast as long as you can hit it 300 yards you'll be in a good position for your second <laughs> shot to the green I think Laurent Blanc's a better golfer than me but talking about people who don't do their homework Antoine Comboare didn't do his homework and he got the job at Toulouse following the sacking of Alan Casanova and in his um, first press conference he was asked you know have you been following Ligue 1 very much since uh, since your last job and he said well no I've, 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 I've looked at some highlights but I haven't watched any matches and he, he gave this sort of long speech about how it's all about getting back to, to basics, defending, putting your foot in and, and, and being aggressive. And that depressed quite, a lot, depressed quite a lot of people. But it worked insofar as they beat Lille in his first game that, that, that you commentated. Dave, yeah, I did commentate Toulouse against Lille. And I have to say, I was impressed by Toulouse. And those aren't words I say very often. That was a, 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 an impressive performance. Apart from performance when you're talking on, about rugby. Oh, exactly, yeah. They're still nowhere near as entertaining as Toulouse's rugby team, that's for sure. But uh, I like the way they played. They actually attacked, which uh, is rare for Toulouse. They coped with having two players go off injured in the first half. Uh, they got a couple of penalties. Gradel just about managed to score the first one and it was a comical attempt on his second one. Yaya Sanago was really good when he came off the bench, hit the post with an overhead kick, scored a, a lovely header. Uh, Dosevi was excellent on the right. Um, some of the best crossing I've seen in Ligue 1 this season came from him. Where was uh, Nolan Rue to tap it in? Where was he? And Lille uh, didn't show that much. And Aussie men, Bomber... Ikone isn't working as a trio in away games. Um, Ikone and Bomba need to do a lot more as far as I'm concerned. Uh, they, Leo were without their first choice central midfield um, through suspension and injury. Andre suspended, Renato Sanchez injured. But yeah, Comboare's back to basics approach. They did win a lot more than their fair share of the 50-50s. They did do things with purpose and uh, it was good. And the crowd responded to it. All 10 of them. It wasn't a very big crowd, was there, at Toulouse? Uh, there really is at the stadium. Okay, fair enough. But if you haven't seen that Max Alain Gradel penalty, the, the second one, because he scored the first one just, Mike Mignon very nearly kept it out. And then the second one, they were 2-0 up, there was only a few minutes left, and he thought, oh, I'm going to enjoy enjoy myself here. And I think it's the worst penalty I've seen since Zaza. Um, when was it, uh, Zaza's penalty? 2012? or Euro 2016. Yeah, 2016. Um, it, yeah, it, it bizarre was fantastic. Runner. Yeah, he sort of slowed down into the ball and then lifted it over. But I did a little jump before he took his <laughs> kick. And he doesn't exactly have a proud record from the penalty spot anyway. He missed four last season. I think he's only scored about two-thirds of his penalties in total. And I think you're watching the same Sunday night popular football programme as I was last night. And he was the guest on it. And he said, you know, I've got to go away and practice my penalties. And then there was a follow-up question do you practice them? And he said, honestly, no. <laughs> it does show, sadly. I do like Gradel as a player, but it shows. Let's move on to uh, the Parisians who are in European action this week. I should mention Lille are playing Valencia in the Champions League. Lyon going to Benfica. So they're really big matches coming up um, in Europe for French clubs. Paris Saint-Germain go to Bruges. They're already well-positioned in the Champions League. They're well-positioned in uh, Ligue 1 as well, following their latest victory, 4-1 away to Nice. Robbie Thompson saw this one for us. It's a good ball for Acadio. The break's on here. Di Maria, he's broken the offside trap. Di Maria for Paris Saint-Germain against Benitez. And he scored. Early ball for Di Maria. It's a good one. It's a good run as well. Di Maria. Oh, what a goal. What a finish from Angel Di Maria. This is the chance, and there is the goal. Well, Paris Saint-Germain won't be happy with conceding that goal, but it's two in two games for Ganago against Paris Saint-Germain. 
And Nice, all of a sudden, are right back in the game. Di Maria. Oh, it might yet fall for Mbappe. Kylian Mbappe. He's back and he's on the score sheet. Paris break forward again. Here's Mbappe. The ball for Riccardi. And that is for... And that was the danger. Thank you very much, Monsieur Robbie Thompson. We're missing you on the pod and we're missing your, your facilities as he's well. He's in Bruges, I think, isn't he? Robbie's in Bruges. Yeah, he goes on these jollies these days on yeah, Champions League. I hope he League takes weeks. inspiration from the film. Great film. That's my film tip for the week. In Bruges? Yeah. Well, Paris Saint-Germain going very nicely indeed. Di Maria, absolutely phenomenal once again. We had uh, Icardi getting a, a goal. Kylian Mbappe coming on making his comeback from injury. I think he played about 10 minutes, scored one, made another. It was um, a little bit of a, a damp squib as far as the Nice supporters uh, were concerned. Their uh, their saviour, Jim Ratcliffe, was there, the uh, head of Ineos, who has, uh, who has just purchased OGC Nice. But uh, uh, they've got a long way to go, haven't they, Dave, before they can start competing with PSG? Yeah, Ratcliffe did a, an interview with Lekeep uh, over the week, uh, well, before the game on Friday, where he said that they wanted to target regular Champions League football, but uh, they're not going to throw money at it. I, I, I learned in that uh, piece, actually, that he's been relegated from his position as Britain's richest man. Apparently, he's dropped to third, which isn't an automatic Champions League spot then Brexit anymore. kicked in and Johnson's... No? Oh, I've, I've, I, he is a Brexiteer. We, 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 we say that every time when we talk about Jim Ratcliffe. But yes, uh, no, the team aren't quite there yet. Uh, they look like a, a mid-table team they're evolving they're conceding far too many goals compared to last season uh, what did they concede 30 in 38 games last season yeah, 17 had, already in 10 games this season they had their main pairing back Dante and uh, Errol Malongsar was a bit disastrous I think it's fair to say left back but he's he's a young defender who's being played on the left-hand side he's more of a centre-back and is, is, is Vieira is Vieira getting things wrong this season? Um is he getting things wrong? Well, I mean, I think uh, obviously we, you know, they, they have to try to change the way they play to some extent because they, they struggled so badly for goals last season that, that putting the emphasis on not conceding was very important and they need to try to be more expansive now that they have Kasper Dolbergen, who's who's obviously a big money signing, one of the one of the most exciting players to come to France, really, in the summer window. And um, I think uh, he, he could claim an assist, couldn't he, for Nice's goal against uh, PSG scored by Ganago. Um I mean, when you look at the scoreline, obviously it looks, I mean, it was a convincing PSG win, but let's not forget it was 2-1 with about 16, 17 minutes to go and the Nice had two players sent off and you could, you could, I think you could argue that it was a little bit, you know, a little bit unfortunate for Nice, the the, the red card for Willan Cyprien. And and obviously they, they were down to nine men at the end and, and they crumbled, but... um. You know, they, 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 they have, of course, they can have ambitions about Champions League qualification. We've already discussed how open things are in the table. So they might be in the bottom half at the moment, but they are just three points behind Marseille in fourth place. There's room for improvement. And um, yeah, I mean, a lot of teams will, will get beaten heavily by Paris Saint Germain this season. We've spoken about Nice for about five minutes now. No one's mentioned the weather. I'm worried. Was it not nice this weekend? Uh, I hope so. I wasn't there, but I, I, mean, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I think the onus has uh, has changed as well. You know, Vieira. I think most of us would agree performed really well last season because he had no strikers and he managed to get Nice up to seventh position. Um, but now he's expected to do things. This is this is a different test of his of his management, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, and that that's always a challenge for a coach. Um, you know, it's not just Dolberg. They brought in several other players. Uh, Alexi Claude Maurice, who was playing in the second division for Lorient, but costs a lot of money, and they have to, as I said, they have to try to change the way they play. They have uh, have one, or two, one or two very talented younger players. They need that's the challenge. They need to be more expansive because you know the, consider how badly they struggled to score goals last season, and yet they were just outside the European places. Um, but you know that the league is evolving. I mean, they've just fallen behind Saint Etienne in the table. We'll talk about Saint Etienne in a minute, but. There's a team who brought in a new coach and are changing and are moving in the right direction. And the challenge for a club like Nice is to keep up with these supposedly bigger clubs. Um, you know they've they've got these very rich new owners in, but the Ratcliffe's keep on saying we're not going to throw money at this project. It will be it will take them time to get up there. And and for the moment, you know I think if they can improve on their position of last season, then that's a big step in the right direction. What were they seventh or eighth last season? So let's take things one step at a time. I, one- I think well maybe sorry I've cut Armel off there. 
Shall I carry right. on? No, you no, carry it's on. you go, go Dave. It's your go. flat. No, that's, oh, all right. Thanks, thanks. Well, I, we've seen how Ineos have approached other sports and maybe Vieira can take inspiration from the way that formation that they used to get Kipchoge to run the sub-two-hour marathon. Like, get Dolberg in behind a flying wedge <laughs> and see how that works. I'm so glad I let Dave step in there. I just I just wanted to say that there's one thing I find quite crazy about, about Nice is the only player that's over 27 in their squad is Dante. And he, what, turned 36 He's 72, yeah, yeah. Great hair, though. Glad we got that in. It wasn't the weather, it was the hair. But, I mean, you're not, you're not really going to challenge for the, for the top four unless you have a solid, experienced spine and Nice don't. No, it's, it's, it's early days. And Jim Ratcliffe, in that L'Equipe interview, did say, you know, we were frustrated we couldn't get the deal done earlier to, to, to do more business in August because they only got it done right at the end and they, they did make a few, few transfers. But my favourite quote... From, from that excellent interview was Jim Ratcliffe saying that, uh, I think he is a Manchester United fan, and he was saying, I used, I used, to, think, I used to think Patrick Vieira was a salopard. And I was, just, uh, I was just trying to think what English word he might have used to say salopard. Any, any ideas that, that can... Not that I can mention on this. <laughs> it's a family show. Was that, was, was that not right, Andy? Is he not a Man United fan? Is he not a Chelsea fan? Well, he was looking to buy Chelsea. I don't know, but anyway, he said... He said, I used to think Vieira was a Salabar when he was uh, fighting Roy Keane in, in, in those terrific games. So a bit of a, a bit of a, what, a bit of a nasty piece of, piece of work, Salabar. A tough cookie, I think that would be the <laughs> best translation. We haven't talked about PSG. Uh, you know, it, it, it was good. You talked about Dolberg being one of the most exciting summer recruits. Maro Icardi is, uh, is scoring goals. He's doing a job without, let's say, um, playing flamboyantly. But he, he's, he's finishing off the chances. And the talk now is, uh, you know, is Edinson Cavani coming back from injury under significant pressure? I think he is under significant pressure. But if Cavani is fully fit, I would still select him above Icardi. Icardi doesn't make the same runs that Cavani does. He doesn't have the same work rate. Yes, if you just look at Ligue 1, you see that he's been scoring goals every game he's played in recent outings, starting with the Champions League and then the next two league games, you'll think, oh, Icardi's doing really well at his new club. But how many significant touches has he had in those games? And he, he has fluff chances as well. I was going to say, um, he has done very little to uh, to contradict Paolo Di Canio's uh, statement when, when he signed for PSG that Icardi was only a player that could tap a ball in once it had been pulled back from the byline. Cavani offers a lot more. I mean, Cavani at PSG is a strange one, isn't he? He'll never get the credit for being the club's well, all-time top scorer. This, Armel, this brings me on to my to my good girl. I think you know. I've I've kind of teed myself up a little bit, but here we go. Oh merde! Quelle bande de chèvres! C'est mon coup de gueule. So ever since Edinson Cavani has been at Paris Saint-Germain, people have been knocking him, saying, "Oh, he misses chances. He's uh, uh you know, he's not the striker. He's not the centre forward we need." And then they had Ibrahimovic and. Uh, Zlatan, of course, wanted all the attention. He wanted to play through the middle and uh, Cavani had to play out wide. And, you know, he doesn't talk as much in the media. He gets on with his job and he gives absolutely everything for the football team. And uh, Edinson Cavani is Paris Saint-Germain's all-time record goal scorer. He is the fans' favourite because the fans can see that this guy gives absolutely everything. And, uh, you know, whatever happens, you know, for me, I, I, I agree. Uh, I think it was you, Andy, who said, no, uh, Maro Icardi, isn't going to, or was it you, Dave? It's not going to take Edinson Cavani's place. So that Cavani brings so much more. For me, there shouldn't be a debate. And yet, every day I'm hearing on the radio, I'm reading in the paper, Icardi, this this threat to Cavani. Cavani's being lined up to, to to move. We you know we talk about this all the time. He is out of contract in the summer. But for me, Edinson Cavani, he's the main man at Paris Saint Germain. Forget Mbappe, forget Neymar. It's Eddie. The biggest disappointment for me uh, in Edinson Cavani's Paris Saint Germain career was when he arrived. Turned up with these ripped jeans, turning up from Napoli, looking like Jim Morrison. And then I was thinking, ah, oh, this press conference, this is a new era of PSG. And he's got a surprisingly high-pitched voice, Edison <laughs> Cavani. I expected him to sound like Jim Morrison as well. It's funny you say that. In my, in my um, former career as a pitch-side rugby reporter, I, I interviewed Jerry Collins, who I think tragically passed away. But he, he uh, the former All Black, absolutely immense guy. And I was terrified asking him a question. And he, he had this really high-pitched voice and it, it really threw me. You just don't expect it. And Cavani, Cavani is similar. Just, I, I, I want to say, Jean-Pierre Papin, who um, I've had the pleasure of, uh, of meeting uh, through, through, through my work. And he's a, he's a lovely guy, former Ballon d'Or winner. And he just lives for, for scoring goals. And he recognises a kindred spirit in, uh, 
in Ed- Edinson Cavani. And I saw him over the weekend on telly saying that he would rather have uh, Cavani on one leg than Mauro Icardi. And I just thought, fair play, Jean-Pierre. And to carry on with the Marseille comparison for PSG ahead of the uh, Classique this weekend, I've got a couple of Argentines that I play football with in, in Paris that, you know, one of them's an ex-professional, the other one actually works for Paris Saint-Germain, won't drop any names or he might be in trouble, but both of them agree that Dario Benedetto is twice the player Mario Icardi is and that PSG <sighs> have been slightly I like Benedetto's there. attitude. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit more about Papin because there was a goal over the weekend that was described as Papin-esque. Yes. Irvan Cardona for Brest and he just smacked it. And I think it was uh, the coach, Dalolio, who's, who, that's why he said it was a Papanesque goal, because he didn't hesitate, just hit it as hard as he could. And it flew past the keeper and won the game. Yeah, Cardona, who was uh, a big prospect at, at Monaco, lost his way a bit. But yeah, that instinctive striker. No, well, Andy Delors, the, the, the Papanesque volleyer, isn't he? So maybe Delors and Cardona, when they meet, that's the Papanico or something. Papanico. But I, it, it's interesting because Olivier Dalogio, when he said that, in the press conference, I thought, well, you're, you're putting a bit of pressure on your young lad, Cardona. But what shocked me more was that he said, uh, he asked the journalist, he said, you all know Jean-Pierre Papin, you've heard of him? And the journalist was like, well, yeah, of course we have. He said, OK, because I just said that in the dressing room and my players said uh, they, they, they didn't know who he was, which is a bit shocking. That's no, because no, you're no in age. your 40s and uh, no some age. of them are Ryan Shirky's age. <laughs> yeah, but they should know about former French Ballon d'Ors, surely. They haven't been... That many in the past few years, have they? I mean, usually golden boys, but Ballon d'Or. No, no, Platini, Coppa, um, Papin and Zidane, I think. The only four. Thierry Henry obviously should have won it in 2003, but for some reason, Pavel Nedved got got the vote. Let's let's move on before I start going on a Thierry Henry rant. There was uh, a lot of Arsenal interest in the Bordeaux-Saint-Étienne game that uh, Ian Holyman commentated. We had Laurent Koscielny starting for Bordeaux, the former Arsenal man. And the future Arsenal centre-back, William Saliba, lining up for Saint-Étienne. Let's uh, see who got the better of who. Here's Nordin. They want a penalty. They're going to get one too, Saint-Étienne. Arno Nordin was brought down and Rudy Bouquet points to the spot. Deep in added time. Buanga could win it here for Saint-Étienne and scores emphatically. Well, thank you, Ian. Uh, a controversial late penalty for Saint-Étienne and it's two wins in a row for Claude Puel since he uh, took over um, from um, Gislain Printemps, excuse me. <laughs> and uh, it's actually three wins in a row now for, for Saint-Étienne. Um, Puel, the right man for the right club, Andy? Um, well, it certainly looks that way, the way they've started out. Um, I, th- I think it was it was interesting actually watching, funnily enough, commentating the Monaco game yesterday and it came to my mind again that obviously they'd been linked with Claude Puel and then, you know, it looked like they might drop points and you thought, well, how much longer can they go on like this and will they perhaps one day regret not moving for Claude Puel when he was available? Uh, Puel's a man, as we've said many times, the brilliant track record. And, you know, I think it's easy for people out with France to, to, to turn, first of all, to the job he did in England with Southampton and Leicester. But that's only a small part of his managerial career. And this is a man who's uh, won titles with Monaco going all the way back uh, to the beginning of his career. And there's not really much you can say about the work he's done in France, even if he wasn't popular at Lyon. Uh, it always looked like he would be capable of turning things around at Saint-Étienne. Two pretty, uh, you know, they've ground out these wins, but these are games that, are really tough fixtures, you know, Lyon and, and, and then Bordeaux away. And uh, they've got six points from them. And suddenly, from uh, being right down at the bottom of the table three weeks ago, now they're up in the top half. They're just three points off third place. They might not be playing brilliant football, but the uh, the scope is there. They've got some pretty good players, very experienced players. They've still got time to turn around their Europa League campaign as well. So, yeah, Claude Puel is it's a great start. And let's see if he can, can uh, continue that. Well, I think they'll... they'll... They'll be building up a bit of momentum over this uh, month of October because they've got Amiens left in the league and first on Thursday they've got uh, Alexandria of Ukraine and Claude Puel's got a brilliant record against them. He's never lost a game against Alexandria. <laughs> <laughs> but- well, just, you know, just another point on, on Claude Puel because uh, with these two late winners, Beric in the derby and then Buonga from the penalty spot against Bordeaux, there's something new in the French football lexicon. We know that they're obsessed with Fergie time 
anytime you watch a game on French TV and it's an English Premier League game, they'll say, oh, we're on dans le Fergie time or the money time. Fergie time's marginally better than money time, which I believe comes from basketball. But in France now, it's Puel time. I saw that, yeah. But Puel was was refuting those claims, saying I need to get a few more late wins before we can call it Puel time. But <laughs> but but why not? But you, Andy, you mentioned that they've got these experienced players. I thought what was interesting was that he left out quite a few of those experienced yeah. players. He left out Kabai, didn't he? Amuma and Debushi. He played Loic Perrin, but took Perrin off at half time because he was a little bit fortunate not to get sent off. He played three players from the Saint Etienne side that won the Coupe Gombardella, the Youth Cup. Um, a year ago, Saliba, Wesley, Fofana, those two played at the back with Perrin and he played mm-hmm. Charles Abbey up front. And, you know, that's kind of a consequence of, of, of what we were saying before. We just thought Saint-Étienne were looking old and didn't have yeah. the legs and they did have those legs against Bordeaux. Yeah, and um, actually, uh, you know, Claude Puel has, has a track record again for bringing through young players. Obviously, his last job in France was at Nice, a club who, as Armel said before, have got... Um, have, have a lot of young players on their books and, and Puel has played his part in, in bringing young players in there he's done uh, something similar at times in England and Saint-Étienne are a club who actually you know we associate French clubs with uh, bringing through young players and giving a chance to, to youth but Saint-Étienne a bit like Marseille in recent years haven't really done that and they, they do need to start looking at their youth academy maybe a little bit more obviously William Saliba uh, is is on his way to England and Kurt Zuma has gone before that. But when you think of the conveyor belt at other clubs, it's not been there at Saint-Étienne. But when you've just won the Gombardella, which is a very prestigious uh, youth competition, it's the National Youth Cup, uh, of course they should be looking at that academy a bit more and, and blending that youth with uh, with the experience that they do have. If they can find that right mix, then you know they, they, can, they can aim high. I think they made one very good young signing this summer. We've done a bit of a Monaco with him, as in by him once his uh, development has, has already occurred. But Zaidi Yusuf, that they bought from Bordeaux in the summer, I think is a very and good player. It, it helps Saint-Étienne as well that Ruffier was back from his fractured left hand and he was on fire. He, he denied Bordeaux on several occasions. Uh, Josh Madger right at the end, Huang, Camano uh, in the first half. That's what I was going to say, because Bordeaux have been actually doing very well. They had a chance to move into the top three, I think, if they could have won. And um, they were they were actually a bit unlucky. I mean, they they... They were denied by Ruffier. They had more of the chances, but Saint-Étienne showed that, showed that resilience. I think Claude Puel is somebody who needs to be 100% invested in, in the project, not just a training ground coach. And I remember reading an interview in France Football when he was a uh, Southampton coach, and I remember being a bit concerned by it because he said, yeah, it's totally different here. We've got this huge setup. Everybody else looks after the academy and this and that. And all I have to do is worry about the first team and the training ground and, and, and picking the first team. And he basically said it was easy. It was easier than what he was used to. And I just thought, if if a coach is is saying that, if he's in that mindset, but it was obviously that you know what he'd been told. Your your you know your job is very much yeah. reduced compared to what you were doing at Nice. Yeah, it's not wh- a good sign. Which is which is funny because I think when you're coming from from the UK as uh, as as most of us are here, we think of the old school British manager who does everything, who goes out and buys all the players, travels. 300 miles round trip during the week to watch some player in a, in a, in a second division game or something like that as, as a scouting job and then gets back to the training ground, puts out the cones the next day and in, on the continent, which of course is a very separate thing to, to the UK as we know uh, from a political viewpoint <laughs> these days, um, we, we think of sort of the, the coach who looks after the team and then the sporting director and those up, upstairs who look after the scouting and the signing of players and so on. But Claude Puel is actually... Uh, a bit more like an old school British coach because he wants to do everything. And as he would say in French, uh, he has the full powers over uh, everything to do with the footballing side. He had that at Lyon. It didn't go down very well. He wanted it at Saint-Étienne. He has that. And let's see uh, how he gets on. But yeah, it's very interesting to see the way that Claude Puel works compared to the majority of other coaches in France and around Europe. He's effectively got a seat on the board now uh, at Saint-Étienne. He does like to have control. He does like to look at all aspects of the football club. I think uh, of the current league and coaches the one you'd compare to that with the overarching vision would probably be Christian Gorkouf at Nantes who I think is, is going to be in a similar position once uh, his contract extension is, is fully signed yeah but I'm, I'm, I worry about that because his results have been so amazing and then before this weekend we were talking about how he's now going to take on extra responsibility and he's going to oversee this big big project and they were beaten weren't they all of a sudden Nantes were were, were beaten at the weekend and um, you wonder if, you know, it's like getting the manager of the month award or, you know, you, you get that and then it all it all suddenly goes wrong. I haven't um, been uh, bigging up our, our, our brand very much during this podcast. So I should say you are listening to Le Bourge. We are the official League 1 podcast. 
and we love hearing from you. So please do send in your emails. Um, we have an address, ligue1podcast at gmail.com, or you can use the hashtag LeBourge on, uh, on Twitter. I think our time is almost up. We're going to go on a little uh, trip uh, around France because the football is coming thick and fast. European games this week, and then Ligue 1 is back with round 11 uh, next weekend. Let's see uh, where it might be nice to go. Okay, well, I'm going to get in there straight away and I'm going to go with the classic, the classic that has been played down by Andre Villas-Boas. Marseille won 2-0 against Strasbourg on Sunday night and uh, Villas-Boas was asked about the the big game. It's traditionally the biggest game on the calendar and Villas-Boas said, well, hang on, for me... The game against PSG isn't that important. And I, and I thought it was a little bit sad. And a lot of people have said, well, hang on, he's right. Because Marseille have been so bad. Well, in terms of the results, they've been so bad in this fixture in, in, in recent years. But I'm going to stick up for the French Classique. I know the atmosphere is going to be absolutely electric at the Parc des Princes. And PSG and their fans absolutely love beating Marseille. So I will be there to witness the latest Classique. Can I, can I just say on the PSG-Marseille game, um, like, like the rest of you was watching... Um, Canal Plus's coverage of the Marseille-Strasbourg game uh, last night and at the end the uh, touchline reporter uh, asked, I think he was speaking to Valentin Rangier after the game and he was speaking about the Classique and he said, uh, we know that this is a game in which anything can happen but blah 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 and I thought to myself, well hang on a minute, it's I think it's eight years next month since Marseille beat PSG at all and they've played each other a lot of times in, in the intervening period so yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, pushing things a bit to say that anything could happen in that anything game. Anything can happen, but, but PSG might win. Four PSG or five, might yeah. win it, but it, but it is. Let's not forget it, it. It remains a real grudge match in France, and always one uh, worth watching. So, is that where you're going? Uh, hopefully, although I will be uh, commentating Rennes against Toulouse uh, earlier in the day on Sunday, and that will be uh, an interesting game as well. Antoine Comboire's second match in charge. Can he continue his winning run? I'm going to go to Nantes Monaco on the Friday night. Nantes' home record this season. Played five, won four, drawn one, scored four, conceded none. But they're going to concede on Friday. Ben Yedder's going to score again. And I, on Saturday afternoon, will be in Lille because Victor Ozymen is back on home turf, so he might find his goal-scoring form again. It's equally a meeting. Andy? I was going to say, well, he won't if you're commentating because it will finish nil-nil. True, and I am. Rubbish. Um <laughs> I just think it's going to be interesting to see if Antoine Comboare can get some more tampons out of his players at, at, at the weekend. Because sorry, <laughs> oh yes, sorry. That that's yeah, that's one of the one of those um, faux ami, uh, false friends uh, tampon in in French. Doesn't mean the same as in English. It means sort of putting your foot in, doesn't it? Kind of not in that sense. It means kind of getting getting stuck. Sorry, not like what gonna... you've just done. <laughs> I've just put my foot in it, and I think on that note, on that bombshell, as Alan Partridge would say. It is time to wish you all a great week and we will be back again very soon from David Cross. Most of us will be back. <laughs> Andy Scott, I'm El Tanky and me, Matt Spiro. It's au revoir. Yeah, bien. Oh, what a strike. An absolute beauty for Florian Tomac. Oh, the pass is brilliant for Pepe. And Tomac. The Saint-Etienne is surely